Hi, welcome to On the Line. I'm Christina Kay. And I'm Joe Mullings. Today in the studio, we have Paul Farmer from Halma. He is a collaborator of ours who is really kind of taking the company in a new and exciting direction. And we were going to hopefully talk about the intersection of talent and innovation that you, your company is sort of leading the way with. So welcome, Paul. Great. It's nice to be here. Thank you. I've known Paul, been working for Paul a little over a year now, right? Yeah. I was in an airport when we first got introduced on the phone. That's right. Adam introduced us. <laughs> Which Adam is Meyer. normal for you. Yeah, that's and you too. <laughs> we talked about that. <laughs> so where does Halma and the organizations that you help exist in this world? Continents, regions? Yeah. So um, Halma at large, I'll speak a little bit about, has over uh, approximately 50 different companies from around the globe. Um, and we operate everywhere from, you know, the Middle East to Latin America to clearly the, the U.S. and Europe. Specifically, um, I'm accountable for our medical and environmental and analysis sector. And between those two particular sectors, we have approximately 27 companies and those 27 companies are located in those same environments with the predominance being us and europe uh, as well as asia all right so you're covering a lot of map as one person yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. how's that working out (laughs) good because we have partners such as yourselves good answer (laughs) Uh, so also if you could just describe a little bit of what your specific role is sure yeah so i'm uh the role i'm in is uh talent and culture director And really the purpose behind this role is we understand the criticality that talent plays to really the performance of a company. And I think everybody's probably heard the cliched saying of, you know, culture will eat strategy every day. Um, And I I believe that, our CEO believes that, um, and my boss believes that. And as a part of focusing in on what is the behaviors, the values, and the attitude that any one person or a collection of people bring to the work environment is absolutely critical. And then second to that, as I indicated, is the talent component. You can have the best products and the best services, and at the end of the day, you have to have the best people um, because the, the reality is those people are the ones that are driving both the strategic direction, but also the execution. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the role I play is at that intersection of driving business strategy and performance through people, teams, and culture. I love that culture is included in that. I don't think that that's to direct culture is maybe not often considered, but I think at this point it's just so con- it's so important because you're ne- nobody's siloed anymore. And even if it is a multinational company, every sector does have to have a certain uniform ability to communicate because you can communicate so quickly and so easily everywhere all the time. Right. Well, and in today's environment, I think um, because of technology, um, the interrelatedness of individuals, of partners, of our own companies to collaborate becomes critical. Um, It's really hard today for any one person, team, or company to accomplish something by themselves. And so this emphasis on the fact that uh, we uh, have a culture of collaboration, um, we need to have leaders that are networking, we need to have talent that has a network, those things go hand in hand. And not just because, but really truly to benefit our customer base 
and clearly to benefit the business and their own performance. Um, as seen through financials, mm-hmm. <laughs> of yeah, course. <laughs> and Helm is a publicly traded company on the UK Correct. exchange, right? Correct. Matter of fact, we are officially in the FTSE 100 now. It was just announced oh. uh, publicly uh, last week. And so December 18th will be the rollout of what has already been publicly announced in terms of us being in the FTSE 100, which is one great accomplishment amongst many, I think, for for Helma. Mm. So you've been there for how long now? And, and tell me some of the practices that you've been excited about that you've been involved in. Yeah, so I joined Helma just over a year ago. So um, it's been great uh, company to be a part of, uh, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I think some of the fun bits of my job, and clearly there's lots, but really is this emphasis on um, business performance tied to talent. And I think there's an intuitive nature that people would, I think, always say those two things go together. What we've really tried to do is focus on and what are the best practices, processes, and tools to consciously enable that outcome of having the best people to drive the best business performance. And so when you think about, so what are those things, right, talent management practices, um, how we attract our talent to uh, Halma. What is that candidate experience from early, early days of building relationships with people to actually day one, uh, week one, month one? And uh, in addition to that, it's and how do you create great teams? So it's not just about finding the one, the two, the three great people, but it's also about how do you build a great team? And so we've built into our processes those three elements, as you can imagine, plus some, um, into our programs over the last um, year plus. So, I'm curious. You hear a lot about uh, the difficulties of talent acquisition in 2017. Mm. I think it's something that a lot of companies are starting to consider, and certainly a lot of companies are being formed just to address this need mm. and this issue. And I'm wondering what of that you're seeing at your company and, and how you are addressing it and maybe some exciting things on the horizon for you. Yeah, I think um, I think there's a practical reality that talent acquisition um, has been and I believe will continue to be a challenge. I, I don't think it'll go away. I think there was lots of reasons people pointed to in the past as to why it has been challenging over the last three, four, five, six years. I just think it's actually a reality in today's environment. I think people have choice, um, and that choice has been um, predicated upon access to information. And so with access to information, networks, um, colleagues, um, people can now choose where they want to go versus be subject to having to go someplace. And so for us, part of what we really emphasize is um, how do we communicate often and frequently about Helma? How do we talk about it being an innovative place to be? Um, how we talk about it in terms of it's not just a job, but it's really about a place where you can build your capabilities, your leadership, have a career, have variety, not just in terms of the companies within Helma, 
but the geographies that we span as well as the functional areas that you would have access to in terms of your own career. And our job is to figure out how we foster that to get the best out of people, but also um, give them what they're looking for out of out of their career in today's um, world. So, Do you think that <clears throat> is just causation or association when you consider that's what's been happening over the last five, six, seven years and the millennials? Is it is it association with the ability to communicate quickly and shop and network and the millennials just happen to be in that or are they causing that? And are you doing anything special in the millennial culture with Helma? Yeah, I mean, I think it's both, right? I think clearly the evolution of technology um, began before we defined something called millennials. Mm. I think clearly that's accelerated that. Um, And so, yeah, there's a practical reality that between a population that's grown up with knowing nothing, but the fact that there's always been iPhones and Facebook and Snapchat and the list is long and mighty, but I think also this access to information. So as a result of that, one of the things we've been very explicit about is a graduate program that we offer. And we've had it in place for, I think, approximately five, six years. And some of that was to tap into this source of really great, innovative, capable talent, and also at the same time, um, meet our needs from a talent management and a succession perspective. And so the the creation of this graduate program was was one of the answers or solutions to making that happen. Mm. What could you share with our audience that somebody in your position, in the TA, the talent acquisition side, what do you look for and how can they best represent that to a market to be potentially selected for yours or mm. BOAs or – yeah, yeah, somebody else's. Yeah. I think um I think there's a couple of different aspects to to answer that and and many more, but there's a couple that come to mind. I think one is for the experienced um leader today, I think really thinking about innovation in the context of test and learn. So, how do you do a lot of experimenting? across a lot of either technology platforms, sales channels, et cetera, to figure out what's going to stick. I think the days of we're going to put together a project plan, we're going to get $25 million for investment, and two years later something magical pops out on the other end are gone. And I think the reason for that is things move much quicker. Mm. And so by the time you get to a point where something comes out two years later, somebody else has already interrupted it. Or the market's changed. Yeah, or the market's changed. And so this whole concept of how do I test and learn, how do I test and learn, I think is really important for today's leaders and today's workforce. I think from a millennial perspective, those individuals joining the workforce, I think what they've got to think about is how do I become a well-rounded leader and figure out what I don't know? Um, You know, because we have access to a lot of information, a lot of technology, and we have our network. I think we often feel like we have um, all the answers. And I think there's just a practical reality that says, oh, there's probably some things I need to develop in. Let me figure out what those things are. And then how do I get into both a company with a culture that allows and enables one to develop um, and to make mistakes? So one of the things at Helma 
that we really emphasize is um, we expect people to make mistakes. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your role is, me included. Um, we're not going to be successful 100% of the time. That's okay. What's maybe more important is what do you learn from making a mistake or from failing? And as a result of that, how do you then take that learning and apply it the next time and the next time and the next time. Yeah, I'm kind of curious if you could elaborate a little more on that graduate program because we were talking about it earlier yeah. and it does sound like something very unique and special that Helm is offering. And I'm also wondering if any CEOs out there are listening that maybe they could take note of yeah. these opportunities because I think they're smart. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of graduate programs I think that companies offer. I, I think one of the things that we've really focused in on is first and foremost, we actually hire a lot of uh, engineering individuals. And the reason we do that is we're, we're a technically savvy company and we design, develop, and sell technical-related um, uh, devices. And so you have to have some innate ability to understand that. So we go after technical people first and foremost. The second thing, though, that we look for is um, graduates who are really interested in that career um, development leadership aspect. And the way that we determine that is what is their curiosity level? What is their willingness to try new things? Um, what is their level of intellect? And then what is their ability to engage, interact, and communicate? And so as that is the foundation, we then put them through uh, a two-year rotational program that covers four different rotations, six months each, um, and it is both rotating through and across geographies, but also disciplines. So you could be in a commercial role, you could be in a product role, you could be in a technical role, an ops role. Um, along the way, one of the things that we um, do that I think might be slightly unique is we bring that cohort together between each rotation for a week-long immersion development program. And that development program is a combination of both skill-based learning, um, self-awareness and who am I as a leader, and leadership capability skill building. And so that blend then positions them through each rotation to build upon what they both innately bring, but also what we need and expect from a leader within Halma. And so two years after being in the program, there's a significant difference between how they walked in the door, coming out of university, to being placed into one of our companies um, in oftentimes a leadership role. Um, and then our expectation, and we actively um, continue development of these individuals, is that they are a leader, uh, a senior leader in one of our companies within three to five to seven years of being placed. And that's at a director or VP level, correct? Correct. So, um, you know, a 30 million revenue generating business could have somebody who comes out of this program leading sales. And late 20s. Yeah. Early 20s. 30s. Right. Yeah. So, so how do you, how do you interview with a company like Helma at a mm. university or any company mm. and answer the questions when you have no work experience? Mm. What advice would you give to individuals of how would they position themselves to answer appropriate questions about that and make themselves valuable? Yeah. I think um, one of the things is authenticity is extremely important. 
Go deeper on that for me on authenticity. Um, how they dress, how they look. I know mm -hmm. as an HR guy, you can't say that, <laughs> right? But we're just BSing here, right? So uh, uh, where's the authenticity? Does their walk match their talk? Yeah, I mean, I think it's on multiple levels. Mm -hmm. I, th I think um, authenticity is saying, you know, I don't have direct experience, but let me give you a situation that right. may be similar. Sure. I think authenticity is being clear about what you don't know. I think authenticity is absolutely um, your style uh, in which you speak, the way you may dress, all of those factors. Mm -hmm. And I think where people are authentic, that comes through mm -hmm. in every interaction. Where people are trying too hard, whatever that means, I think that comes through as well. Yeah. And I think that becomes a differentiator um, when we're talking to individuals. Can you give, an, give me an example of somebody who's was trying to be authentic but weren't and you don't have to name a name but an example right <laughs> yeah. let's let's jump into it a little yeah. bit yeah. right so i i think look i think one of the things like an email that somebody <laughs> followed up with <laughs> no i think one of the things is where you know you're there's once again no names but there was an individual that that i happened to be speaking with and you know they were describing an experience where you know, through probing and through asking more questions, you, you could actually tell they really hadn't had the experience that they described, at least on paper. And, you know, I think that happens probably more time than not. Mm -hmm. But the point around that being, I would have been just really happy to, for the person to have said on paper, limited experience doing X. And then in the course of the conversation, being clear about that as well. And, you know, it gets to a point where you could tell people are getting backed into a corner and that's uncomfortable for them, um, which is unfortunate. And, you know, I think another example in my mind is where you can interact with people and they're just trying too hard to be too nice or to be too courteous or to be too professional. Right. And look, we all want to be treated with respect. So it's not about, it's not about that, but by being authentic, you know, you will come across in your own way and your own style. And at least for us, authenticity equals one's ability to take feedback. And as a result of that, then say, I've got some things to work on. Mm -hmm. hmm. That's, that's, that's pretty deep. Right. <laughs> I like that. I mean, that's pretty deep if if somebody's fronting for something else because they think that's what you want to see or what you believe you want to see meaning the future employer yeah. people under club meaning underestimate how quickly we see through that right right yeah. paul like the 21 year old or the 22 year old life coach right, right. <laughs> right. dude what do you bring to the table <laughs> right. and i think that's the the reality and that that i mean to me that's why i say some of this applies kind of regardless is if you're not authentic then that means you're usually putting a veneer of some sort around something which then means when people give you feedback in a constructive way it's often hard for those individuals to then take that feedback and do something and we are a very open, transparent, direct, collaborative, respectful environment, which means people need to be okay with saying, you know what, I, I didn't agree mm -hmm. with how you did X and mm -hmm. the way you did it and its impact to me or to the team or to others. And I think if somebody isn't authentic, 
that becomes a really hard message for them to both hear and then to do something about. Um, so that's kind of some foundation or basis as to the why, mm-hmm. along with many other things that I'm sure people could think of. Yeah, I, I have a question because our collaboration, our company's collaboration with your companies yeah. is not just in talent acquisition, but you know we've really been expanding that to also developing culture and, and communicating that culture outwardly, mm-hmm. right, uh, through media. So I'm wondering what you think the significance of media is for a company the size of, of Halma and, and how it can help contribute to transparency or that development of culture which you direct. I think it's important and probably ever increasingly more important, driven by there's a, a lot of noise out there. So when you think about all of the channels one can access for information, it, it can be overwhelming um, for anybody. So I think... Um, being very clear-eyed about what your game plan is and the channels that you're going to use and your message and having that done in an integrated way with regularity and consistency um, just means that people are going to be more open at any given point in time to hearing that message. And so whether it's a video, whether it's a podcast, like what we're doing now, or it's something static like a web page, depending upon the situation, the person, and their mindset, one of those is going to resonate at some point in time. And so I think having partners such as yourselves who are helping to facilitate that with us um, becomes critical. There's a a media theorist, probably the most famous media theorist of all time, Marshall McLuhan, who wrote uh, The Medium is the Message, and it's it's prescient. I mean, it's the most amazing thing. This person wrote, I think, was it the 60s that that was written? And it's completely predicted social media in every way. But it's bizarre that that's not a lesson learned yet. And I think that it's great to hear you say, you know, what you're saying will determine how and where you say it. And to think that the medium is the message is really important. It is interesting. But I mean, I think some of that comes, I mean, I, I'm curious now about that. So we'll have to talk more about that. Sure. But, yeah, um, absolutely. Um, but I think that goes to the core of what um, is important in terms of authenticity tied to message. Um, Because I think, once again, we underestimate how smart people are, which is kind of counterintuitive (laughs) in my mind. Um, People are really smart, and so they can both hear uh, authenticity but see it, um, and the opposite of that. So it's fascinating that somebody from, you know, 50 years ago plus right. could predict this kind of messaging in today's world. Yeah. And, and to your point about people being smarter than we give them credit for, especially in the arena of media, it's so ubiquitous. I used to teach freshman video and, and media studies or, or media practice courses at different universities. And these students, and this is true for everyone now, are brought up with such ubiquitous media that they're scholars in it without even knowing. You know, they don't know how to identify it. They don't, may not know the technical term, but they know to a certain extent what they're what they're experiencing. And, and I think you have to always be sensitive to that, right? And maybe like, maybe Helma shouldn't be the most active company on Snapchat, right? Because maybe that doesn't make the most sense. But maybe it will one day. I think you just need to be really sensitive to the ex- the the viewer expectations because they're very developed. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, that's part of. I mean, there's many reasons why I have the we have a grad program, but. Our ability to learn from our graduates is key, not, not just in terms of 
technical skills and experiences and what it's like culturally, but also things like this because um, they give us insight to what works and what doesn't work. And clearly, they're a large voice amongst many large voices, both from a customer perspective, a partner perspective, but then from an internal perspective within Hauma. And, you know, one of the things that we do is we really do incorporate the graduates into um, what we do. So they have full access to the executive team, not just, you know, on any given project or in any given meeting, but I speak with them regularly. The sector CEOs speak with them regularly. We have them in some cases doing bodies of work that really span multiple companies or sectors. And, you know, we have them participate in some of our really large executive meetings where we bring people together. But there's a value to that. There's a value to us. And clearly, you know, we hope there's a value to them uh, in terms of their own development. But without without doing that, I think you lose access, insight, and learning that's critical. You know, I, I want to jump back on, what was his name? McLuhan. McLuhan. So what's happening right now at a greater pace, all of us, all of us are developing these internal algorithms. Mm based on well like when my dad and mom grew up and maybe you were mom and dad and I know Paul's cuz well I'm the oldest one in the room but he's <laughs> closer to me than you guys. Yeah, second oldest by <laughs> so, so, a little a little. <laughs> you look fabulous though. Thank you. Um back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, the only algorithm you can develop from was face to face and then maybe radio and TV. And now what's happening is when you look at the different channels we're all communicating on and then the sub channels within those, right? So your phone is a channel, but there's a whole bunch of shows playing on it, right? Facebook, Snapchat, right? Instagram, mm. your body is looking at those. And my media team has taught me that. And you're taking in information based upon how that channel should be working. Mm. And you're developing this self-driven algorithm. Mm. And the more data you take in, the tighter your BS meter, right? Your mm -hmm. bullshit meter gets. Mm -hmm. My wife told me I shouldn't curse anymore, so I'm not cursing, <laughs> but I needed to give BS. Well, you just did, yeah. <laughs> and so everybody's developing these algorithms mm -hmm. internally that calls for authenticity mm -hmm. so you keep your credibility. Mm -hmm. And so I think each generation, based on the pace and bandwidth and multi-channels that are being fed, we're developing these crazy algorithms inside of ourselves as human beings right. that we cannot underestimate and we have to make sure we stay aware of. So it just came to me while we were talking about this. Yeah. I mean, but that plays into how you think about, or at least how we think about our customer. Our customer base has higher and higher expectations for what's possible by channel, right? And so, you know, mobile phones, mm -hmm. um, wireless, uh, size of data has really played into that, this expectation that I can begin to access information, et cetera, um, without having to do it by hand, um, do it remote, wait. And so part of the journey that we are on from a company perspective is ensuring that we are a part of that ecosystem and or the creation of those ecosystems. 
um, because that's the expectation. And so I've when noticed you, that with yeah. the company. Yeah, you guys are building sensors and technologies and immediate data acquisition and everything you're doing. Yeah, because you you have to. That's the expectation. And so I think you know for us, it's in some cases setting the stage for that in an industry uh, where maybe that didn't exist. And in other cases, it's participating in maybe an existing ecosystem where we can plug ourselves into it. But I think, you know, that that's just reality mm. in today's world. So I like this. I love having guys like Paul on who get to be a technologist. One of my, <clears throat> if I'll speak out of school here, but one of the most fun things is when Paul interviews some of the people that we're interviewing and we won't put any names in this. And they always mistake him for like a talent acquisition guy or an HR guy when really he's a businessman who happens to do TA. It's always the best. And this just reinforced it is listening to him today with us. It was very cool. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, yeah. thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, awesome. It's a pleasure. Well, this has been another episode of On the Line. Thanks for tuning in. Again, I'm Christina Kay. I'm Joe Mullings. And I'm Paul. And thanks, Paul. <laughs> thanks, Paul. Uh, tune in next week for another episode. And we'll be in Florence, episode. Italy next week. We'll be posting from Florence, Italy. Yeah, Don't who forget. Knows what we're talking. I'll probably just give reviews of food, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or Barcelona first. Maybe we'll shoot in Barcelona. We're stopping there. Anywhere, Joe. Okay, cool. <laughs> thanks for listening.